Hey guys, welcome to episode 44 of the Atlas Podcast. My name is Emma Loggins, Editor-in-Chief at FanBolt.com. Uh, my name is Jakai Mickelson, uh, contract designer, uh, independent filmmaker, and one who sometimes struggles with the time-space continuum. <laughs> Don't we all? It's it's weird because it's Sunday and we normally record on either Mondays or Tuesdays. So it's understandable you're struggling with it. Yeah, well, that's true. And I was late for the last one. And then this time... <laughs> you were like three hours early. <laughs> well, yeah, I like I think I inversed because I usually work with a lot of clients that are on the West Coast. And somehow like I inversed the, 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 the math and ended up here early for this, you know, because the three hour. Anyways, yeah. Hello. Welcome. Uh, lovely to talk to you on a Sunday. <laughs> you too. You too. Um, we have a pretty cool show today. We're going to, of course, talk all of the normal stuff we talk with the box office report. And um, we dove into the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival this week. Opening night was uh, Tuesday, January 24th, and got to go to that. So we'll talk a little bit about that and their opening night film, Alone in Berlin. And then we have an interview with uh, Britt Robinson, who is in the film The Space Between Us, which comes out on February 3rd. And uh, then we have a couple of teases for you, because it wouldn't be the Atlas without some teasing. (laughs) That sounded weird. uh, Yeah, it's it's a new sort of thing. Yeah. How fun. Um, but yeah, so let's uh, let's get started with the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival. I'm actually going to another one of their films tonight, which we'll uh, we'll talk about on the next podcast. But um, on Tuesday night, they had a opening night gala, and it was overwhelming to say the least. I thought it would be like you walked in and there was like a dwarves and like an open bar or something. This was huge. Um, they had let me count really quick: one, two, three, four, five, six. They had 14 restaurants. That looks oh. right. 14 restaurants on hand. Um, actually, more than that, because there were some dessert companies and coffee companies that were present, too, um, but that were catering this uh, gala before the opening night film. And one of the restaurants that were present there, they had actually flown in from Tel Aviv. Uh, and it was amazing. They had this beetroot ravioli that was filled with goat cheese mousse. And uh, this chicken shawarma, that was amazing. And it was funny, I ran into another one of um, my movie critic friends there, uh, Cameron, who works with the Atlanta Film Festival. And he was saying that this was, you know, them being at this event every year was like something he had dreams about because it was so good. And I had it, I immediately like went and sought it out after he said that. And it was incredible. It was so good. And it's funny because like all the people that were in line were also falling in love with it. And they were like, oh, so where's your restaurant located? And the guy's like, Tel Aviv. <laughs> so um, it's, uh, it, was, it was so good though. All of the food there was amazing. They had, um, just to name a few, Atlas, Buckhead Diner, Imperial Fez, um, uh, what else? Uh, Southern Art Bourbon Bar, Southern Art and Bourbon Bar, General Muir, Echo, uh, Taco Cowboy, Soto Soto. Just so many amazing dishes. And the thing was, I didn't get there until 6, and they the, the film started at 7.30, so they were ushering us all out at 7. And with that much food, 
and an open bar and as many people were there, you didn't get a chance to like get around to everything you wanted to. So I was like, I needed like three hours to fully experience the gala. <laughs> right. You're like, movies are cool and all, but, uh, but food. <laughs> can I stay out here? Is that, is that offensive to like not see the movie? <laughs> it was funny. They kept like flashing lights, you know, flashing the overhead lights or whatever to, to get us to go in. And all this took place at the, the kind of ballroom that they have that's attached to the, uh, the Cobb Energy Center. And it's a huge, a huge space. And, you know, everyone was kind of like on the same page, like they weren't ready to go in yet. Um, So I was like, you know what, next year, they just need to start the movie at like nine and then start the gala at like five and everything (laughs) will be great. But um, it's really hard when you have that much tasty food and just um, so many great people to talk with and network with and, you know, kind of nerd out about movies with. So it was a really great experience. And Opening night itself was really awesome. We'll get into the the movie review of Alone in Berlin um, a little bit later. But uh, it was a great night, a great film. And it was amazing how packed out the Energy Center was. It was... uh, there's a, a picture that I posted on my Twitter that was from the front of the the, the stage right in front of the screen and kind of gave you a, a full shot of the audience. And it was just, I mean, it, obviously it was sold out, but just kind of right. seeing all of those people in their seats is just such a cool picture and really, you know, just uh, shows the, the support for that film festival here. And of course, which is the largest Jewish film festival in the world. So it's uh, pretty well, awesome. Make- it, it better be a relatively large film festival if a restaurant comes all the way from Tel Aviv. Right, yeah. <laughs> to feed people, you know, yep. that's, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So uh, it was a great night, and I didn't have a whole lot else going on this week. Uh, we talked about the, the Atlanta Magazine party on the last week's episode, which was uh, last Monday, which was great. But I did do something else that's uh, pretty predictable for me this week. I saw La La Land for the fourth time. Oh, <laughs> Cause, golly. Because three wasn't enough. For um, the love of Pete. <laughs> All right. Um, but it was my friend Henry's uh, birthday, and he really wanted to go see uh, go see the film again. And so Mike and I and several of Henry's friends all got together and, and went to see it for a fourth time. And I, I don't know if I'll see it a fifth time in theaters. Uh, oh, but... you're a quitter. You're a quitter. <laughs> I mean, I can keep going, honestly. It's just, uh, it's, it's so, it's funny because I feel like as soon as I stop, like, uh, having the songs and repeat in my head or, like, in my car or on my record player, like, I finally kind of get back to a little level of normalcy. I go see it again and then I'm right back in it. So here we go again for the fourth time around. Oh, but, goodness uh, gracious. You know, we were talking about this last night, and I don't remember the film. I'm sure sure Mike will, will tell us. Um, but, uh, of course, La La Land is up for 14 Oscars. And the 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 film, which escapes me, uh, that's won the most, has won 11. So there is the potential for La La Land to be the biggest Oscar-winning film of all time. You know, we talked a little bit about this before, that I didn't think Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling would, you know, win for Best Actress and Best Actor. But if that, if, if, even if they don't get those two, there's potential for it to get 12, which would make it the biggest Oscar-winning film of all time, which would be awesome. And I think, therefore, warrant going to see for a fifth time. Just saying. Good Lord. All right. <laughs> I'm a fangirl. What can I say? But uh, but yeah, that's all I did this week. Uh, what, have, what have you been up to? 
Uh, I, weirdly, you're not going to believe this, but I saw La La Land six times. <laughs> Damn it. I did. I did. Just, to, just to show you up. Yeah. yeah. That was the only reason why I did it. I just want you to and, see uh, it once. That's all I want. I, I know. I know. It is, uh, it is sad. But I, I have seen the film that has won the most Oscars. Uh, and I, that would be Ben-Hur, the original Ben-Hur. Okay. Also, also Titanic and Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. All three of those, apparently. One eleven. Eleven Oscars. That's weird that it's a three-way tie. That's awesome. Now, I mean, here's the thing. I realize now when I talk about anything, I'm afraid I'm wrong. <laughs> and Mike is just waiting <laughs> to let me know how wrong I am. <laughs> um, well, that's what this is according to the Google that uh, it's a three-way tie. And I've seen all three of those films. So I'm a very um, sophisticated watcher of films there you go yeah (laughs) i've seen two of those i actually haven't seen ben hur i've seen the remake which i wasn't a huge fan of um but i do need to see the original because that's a that's a classic yeah yeah yes yes it is it was one of my mom's favorite movies growing up well i will add that to my list and i will you know what when you go see la la land i'll watch ben hur is that the deal? I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds 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 good. <laughs> well, speaking of going to see movies, it was funny because I was alluding to the bet that I had that La La Land would eventually, you know, at some point in its lifespan reach number one. And I was talking about this uh, last night, and it actually came in fifth again this week, um, right. bringing in twelve million. Split came in first again. Uh, the M Night Shyamalan movie with twenty six million. Uh, a Dog's Purpose opened at second with 18 million. Hidden Figures came in third with 14 million. Resident Evil um, opened with 13.8 million in fourth. And then, of course, sixth was uh, the X, Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage. Seventh was Seeing. Eight was Rogue One. Ninth, Monster Truck still holding in there. Oh, look at, um, look at Monster Truck making a name for itself. Look at yeah. it. It's, it's currently made 28 million to date, so it's still. It's still a a loss for the studios, but I do find it interesting because I'm sure you've probably seen it. um, All of the controversy that's kind of been surrounding a dog's purpose that's, you know, been all over Facebook and Twitter and um, the news and everything about, you know, PETA and, you know, the dog not really wanting to do some of the stunts and it, 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 it looking like it's animal abuse. And I didn't really dive too deeply into it because, uh, I just can't stand watching that or reading that. I need to live in a bubble where, you know, I, I, I don't like, I have to change the channel when those Sarah McLaughlin commercials come on. Cause I just, I start crying and I'm a wreck for like a solid day. Right. Um, and those commercials are on CNN, like, literally all the time. Now, I was watching earlier today, and it came on twice, and I just had to, like, go over to HGTV and just kind of chill out for a little bit. But um, it's yeah. it's yeah. interesting that it still premiered in second. Um, I would have expected that the kind of negative buzz around that... Um, and the images, I did see some of the images, which are just kind of heartbreaking, even out of context of not, you know, knowing the full story of what happened. I, it still just, just seemed horrific. And I'm surprised that it, it did so well. It's just, it seems like it has so much sadness around it. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, it's, 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 it's a bummer. That's, that's, that sucks. Yeah. But I, I do sometimes go to a place of like, and again, like I've, I've, I've tried to like not eat meat but sometimes i do think it's so weird that like everybody's like oh the poor dog and then people are like eating a bacon 
cheeseburger. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's always like, I'm always like, well. Anyways, but no, not to not that that's, but uh, that's like a whole, that's a whole big box to open up. But I think um, <laughs> it's it's a bummer that uh, that that's happened. Yeah. But, uh, it's actually it's actually in line with, because I think what I said uh, before, and again, I never fact-checked myself, and I never heard from Mike, so maybe I was actually correct. Uh, but but I think one of the big reasons why there's so much safety and stuff on films now is because of Ben-Hur. And a lot of right. horses got hurt and, 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 and stuff in and, and those epic chariot scenes. But yeah, I, I was, I'm surprised to see it up there too. But I think just on the surface, it looks like a happy, happy film. I mean, and, does it? It looks like it's something that's going to make you cry, like worse than Homeward Bound does. Like okay, the whole idea well, of yeah. like you losing your pet and then your then your pet being reincarnated life after life after life with the sole purpose of trying to find its way back to you. That seems like something that's going to make me cry for three hours and then however long afterwards. <laughs> like it just it doesn't seem like a happy happy evening <laughs> like well, that's just well, me <laughs> okay no that will but, but if the dog fight but is it so is the ending not happy either well i don't, I don't know fair i enough. haven't seen it fair it's, enough, <laughs> fair enough. It just, uh, yeah. it seems like one of those things. I mean, I remember how much I cried during Homeward Bound and even how many, you know, as a kid, how many adults I knew cried watching Homeward Bound. And that was so interesting for me as a kid to see like, you know, grown adults having emotional reactions to this story. And like, I get it. Like I, as a an adult, like, cried my eyes out at Toy Story 3 like ugly cried and like in a theater with a five year old staring at me like what's wrong with you um, right. but so, so I get real, it lady. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, but what it represents and like this is why this is why I'm basically a hoarder and I can't get rid of anything that I own it's because you know Toy Story but um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know it's just those stories are so sad and they're so nostalgic and they um, you know and as a person that has an elderly uh, an elderly dog right now it's just it seems like such a, a sad story but maybe there are people out there that are looking at it more positively than i am maybe, well i don't know i haven't <laughs> seen it and to be honest yeah so but uh either way <laughs> it's a bummer to watch a thing and be like oh this is the scene just before where the dog got thwacked yeah for not hitting his mark yeah her marker whatever so well that's fun that's yeah so on that note, <laughs> let's move into a movie about World War II. <laughs> um, so yeah, the uh, the movie I saw um, at the opening night of the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival, Alone in Berlin. Uh, let me give you guys a, a quick, quick kind of overview of it. The official description, uh, Emma Thompson and Brendan Gleeson are an ordinary working class German couple who quietly rage a personal campaign of anti-Nazi resistance in the affecting wartime drama alone in Berlin. Disinterested in politics and content to keep to themselves, factory foreman Otto and his dutiful wife Anna end up losing their son on the battlefield, grieved jolts them into action. They launch a silent protest, dropping handwritten postcards denouncing Hitler across the city. With terror and paranoia infecting the German capital, their high-risk acts of defiance spark a citywide manhunt. Under mounting pressure to find the culprits, morally or morally ambivalent police inspector pursues the case with increasing intensity as the net begins to tighten around the couple. 
So that's kind of the the brief overview of this film, which I think, especially with everything that's going on now um, politically and kind of some of the comparisons that have been made between, you know, what's going on here and what has gone on in history, um, especially with, you know, World War II and Hitler and all of that. It was it was an interesting film to see. Um, So let's dive into an official Atlas review. This is going to be the most solemn Atlas review ever. (laughs) In a a land of question where... (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. So, hey, here's our official Atlas review for a movie about World War II. Um, So, on a scale of one to five, five being five alarm boredom, how bored were you watching this film? Um, I'm going to give it a two um, for boredom because I do feel like it was... um, the, the pacing of it was, and, and I feel like the overall story was kind of watered down. I feel like the original story in itself is is pretty amazing, and there is kind of a thriller vibe that is enough to hold your interest. But again, it feels kind of just watered down, and, um, you know, like there's, the, the pacing of it was it was rather slow. Still great and an incredible story, but there were moments when I was just kind of not super happy with the pace of the film fair enough uh so was there eye rolling well from a scale one to five five being like eyes rolling out of your head were you rolling your eyes at all so this is interesting um at the actual film no but at some of the comparisons that it was making me think about especially especially in relation to what's going on currently in our news definitely um uh please expand on that <laughs> So, I mean, you know, it's it's no no secret that things that have been happening with Trump and especially what Trump has done in this last week with the Muslim ban and um, wanting to build the wall and basically wanting to kind of separate us and and separate America and Christians and, and ban, you know, people of Muslim faith. There's so many parallels there that can be drawn and, and that have been drawn in the media and in conversations that are happening on social media. Um, so I think uh, kind of looking back at a case of this happening in history and what all that caused and just the the unfairness of everything and people trying to rise up as we're seeing now with, you know, all these protests that are happening and all these people that are trying to take a stand, um, you know, to make America kind again. And, you know, Canada (laughs) saying that, you know, welcome to Canada. If you're if you, you know, all religions and all cultures are welcome here and and just kind of seeing what's going on around the world and how the world is reacting to this. Um, it's it's very interesting when you're watching a movie that's, uh, you know, so heavily um, referencing all of these things that happened in the past that we're kind of seeing play out currently in the political landscape that it just seems so familiar and so like it's going to be, a, you know, a, another thing, you know, 50 years, 100 years down the line that people look back on almost with the not not with the same way that they do with World War II, but definitely a mark in our history that is reminiscent of, you know, segregation with religions and cultures. Um, so, yeah, it, it was definitely something that made me roll my eyes in the sense of like, oh, my God, how have we not learned from the past? No, it's um, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. OK. All right. So not really like an eye roller of like, oh, this is ridiculous. Uh, 
It's almost, yeah, it's almost like an eye squint. Yeah. Of like closing <laughs> your eyes in horror and pain. Like, how is it happening? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I would venture to say that like some of some of the people out there. And again, you know, I know we've talked about politics before on the podcast and we're not a political podcast. But I do think that if you are in support of everything that's kind of going on right now currently, I think it would be an interesting experiment to have a lot of a lot of those supporters go back through and really look at the history of what happened with Hitler and with World War II and um, see these stories, uh, these individual stories about what happened to families and, you know, the overall picture and just kind of revisit a lot of this. It was funny because currently on the bestsellers list, 1984 has reached number one, which of course, you know, there's a lot of parallels with with that story and what's happening now too. Um, So I do think a lot of people are kind of looking back at history and seeing how, you know, it's played out not only with with what happened in World War II, but also these fictional stories. Um, There's a couple others that were coming up on the list too that also were, you know, fictional stories, but um, very very close close to what's happening now in our world. So I do think that people are, are examining that and taking a look at, at that. And I just wish that some of the supporters would as well. Well, that's, that's the thing that always scares me. Um, and you know what I'll say? Again, not a political show. Uh, but what I'll say is if like Trump happened to, to believe in my ideals, I don't even like saying his name. Like, that's how much of, like, it's a visceral, stomach-aching thing to, to even say his name. But, um, like, but if, if that particular person was in the office and he happened to be fighting for my ideals with the gusto mm-hmm. and, and fortitude, he's fighting for 100% of everything I, in my soul and heart, don't believe in, mm-hmm. I would be so stoked on him. You know what I mean? If, yeah. if he threw all this other stuff to the curb, like let's say he was he was going to be number one about environment and number one about um, equality, which to me, in a nutshell, those are the two things most important to me. Doesn't matter if there's no no earth to have and we're all in it together. Like that to me is it. Right. Um, and and the fact that he is just one hundred percent going in the opposite direction of that. But to be fair, wow, he is going after it with gusto. Yeah. You yeah. know. So the so the people that are into it, um. I just I just feel like he's getting people more and more pumped up. I mean, I don't know. You know, I should even say that it's it's like dangerous to like, you know, have theories like that. Um, but I, I, I did. We, we had a big conversation about that last night. I'm like, dude, the, the gusto that this dude's going after it. If he happened to align with my philosophies, I'd be so stoked right now. Yeah. Um, and instead, it's just like the scariest thing. It is. I've it is. ever seen. And um, I mean, I guess one thing you can say for him if you voted for him is that he is coming through on his campaign promises, which I personally hoped he wasn't going to be able to do. And I'm still hopeful that some roadblocks stand in his way and he's not able to achieve these things. Um, But it's it's not like we can pretend like we didn't think it was coming because this is what, you know, he campaigned on for for so (laughs) long. So I know. And that's and that's the thing that just to your point, the people that support him, like, um, there's a thing about being like, you know, kind of pot committed. Like, is, is there a moment when people are going to be like, oh, maybe maybe I shouldn't have done that. Like, is that happening or or are people just going to continue to be steadfast? Yeah, um, I know there's a lot of people that, that kind of are in the middle ground and they kind of voted for Trump as like an F you to the system because, you know, but uh, I don't know. It's short and long of it. It's like I can't. 
I, I find myself like unable to concentrate on the things I need to get done during a day. That's right. how, and you know, and, and hopefully like if we're lucky, that's as bad as it'll get, but who knows? Anyways, uh, we're, this is a, see, a very solemn <laughs> Atlas review. It is. Uh, so to circle all the way back, uh, eye rolling score, what do you give it? Um, I mean, with, with that note being made, um, I'm just going to give it a one, a one for okay. eye rolling at the, the actual film. So how are the performances? What, what, uh, what, what went right in the film? Um, well, Gleason, I think, was was really amazing. He had a pretty impressive German accent throughout. Um, he was fantastic. Emma Thompson, of course, she's an incredible actress, but she was not as solid in her in her accent as uh, as Gleason was. And you always kind of compare it to like Kate Winslet in The Reader. Or, uh, that's just such a great example of uh, you know a, a, a non German with a German accent. To me, I always kind of go back to to Kate Winslet in that role, but. Um, Emma Thompson uh, just wasn't, and it wasn't totally her fault either. I felt like her character was a little less developed than than Gleason's character was, and um, you know, like for example, she has an association with the uh, the Women's League, and it kind of suggested that um, she wanted to blend in or believed in kind of the whole the whole uh, Nazi ideology for at least some period of time. But the film doesn't really go into that that much with the exception mm. of, of one or two scenes. So there just wasn't as much uh, character development with her as, as we saw with Gleason and, and Gleason's accent. And, you know, the accent's kind of a, a, a small thing, but I feel like it is always kind of a weird thing when you have, you know, an English speaking film set in another country and you're trying to make it still feel authentic, even though you're speaking in English. So that's something right. that I'm always aware of with with films like this. Um, so I would say not that Emma Thompson was was bad in it at all. I, I wouldn't say that there were there were no performances that were not, you know, uh, not solid in this. But I would say that um, uh, Brendan Gleeson was definitely the best. Nice. All right. Well, I guess then, um, overall, it's a big moment of truth. Uh, what is what? What does it get? What's its Atlas score? I'm going to give it an Atla. A three, an Atla. I'm going to give it a three, yeah. Just because I, I, like I mentioned before, you know, um, I felt like the story, the original story, which again is amazing, um, I just felt like it was watered down. And you know, this is based off of a book, so you can um, go and check out the book. I don't have the information in front of me on that. I'm assuming it's called Alone in Berlin. Um, I should probably check that out. Michael let us know. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it is based on a book and um, the story itself, I mean, that still comes through in this. You, you still um, understand the story that they're, they're telling and, um, which is just such a great story. Uh, but it just feels, again, the pacing was a little bit slower. It was watered down. Um, the visual style of the film almost lends it more to like a feeling like a classical film and not really a story that's talking about like the satisfaction that's being gained from like these these acts of kind of defiance that they're they're mm. doing with you know the postcards and and um the danger that's behind that uh so i just it felt just a little off to me now would you say watered down are you saying like it feels watered down was that like for like for a ratings perspective like they're they're like uh, purposefully avoiding tougher scenes or what do, what do you mean by watered down um, just, I, th I think that has to do with the pace of it, too. Okay. Um, 
and even the thriller vibe of it, you know, they're they're doing this, delivering these postcards, and there's the 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 uh, kind of the constant fear of getting caught, and um, you know, s- staying away from areas in which they're going to be caught, and so there is that thriller vibe, but it just doesn't come across as as like on the edge of your seat as I feel like it should for for what I they're see. doing and and the repercussions of what they would face if they were caught. Um, which, you know, I won't give any spoiler alerts for, for what happens at the end. Um, but it's, I just felt like it should be more intense than it was. That's fair. That's fair. It, okay. So, yeah, that's... Um, There's my answer. <laughs> There's your answer. It is It is definitely a, uh, it's a, a great film with a great cast. I definitely think, especially with the, the relevance that it has with everything that's going on today, it's definitely worth seeing. Um, but yeah, it's just I, I wish that it had been more intense than it was. <laughs> maybe, maybe just because of the current situation, it just does. It's you're just not going to get intenseness. Maybe, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe what's going on right now is just like numbed me so far. I'm trying to numb myself to to it or right. something. I don't know. Right. I don't know what. Right. Uh, I yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, but that was the opening night film at the the film festival. Definitely um, look it up online. Uh, check out the book if you're interested, and um, you can find out more information on, it's, uh, I believe, ajff.org about the film and uh, more more information on it. So check it out. Nice, nice. Well, uplifting movies about Berlin. Yep. <laughs> Um, well, speaking about uplifting movies, I haven't seen this one, but the trailer looks cute. Um, the Space Between Us comes out February 3rd, and we have an interview with Britt Robinson, who is the, the main star, or the main female star, I guess, in this film. I guess the, the boy is probably the lead star. Um, but let me give you a little bit of an overview over on, on what it's on. Uh, it's an interplanetary adventure. A space shuttle embarks on the first mission to colonize Mars, only to discover after takeoff that one of the astronauts is pregnant. Shortly after landing, she dies from complications while giving birth to the first human born on the red planet, never revealing who the father is. So a extraordinary life begins of Gardner Elliott, a inquisitive, highly intelligent boy who reaches the age of 16, having only met 14 people in his very unconventional upbringing. While searching for clues about his father and the home planet he's never known, Gardner begins an online friendship with a smart, street smart girl in Colorado named Tulsa. When he finally gets a chance to go to Earth, he's eager to experience all the wonders he could only read about on Mars, from the most simple to the extraordinary. But once his explorations begin, scientists discover that Gardner's organs can't withstand Earth's atmosphere. Well, that that sounds kind of sad, too. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully it has a happy ending. (laughs) Uh, I like, you know, I like a movie where it ends with the character imploding. I just, hope not. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's very, uh, very, very nice way. Yeah. You find you find peace within yourself, and then you implode into it. <laughs> maybe maybe something awesome happens, and they both get to go to Mars together, or they find some sort of miracle drug that allows him to his organs to further evolve, and he can. I don't know. I hope it ends happily. I haven't seen it. <laughs> um, the press screening is this Wednesday, and I'm actually going to end up missing it because I'll be on a flight back from uh, my set visit I'm doing in Albuquerque. So. So, um, yeah, but Mike will see it, and um, I'll have I'll I'll let you guys know next week if it's uh, if 
if it's a happy movie, it's a good movie. All right, it's good. Well, actually, maybe we could have Mike come in and actually guest guest Atlas it. We should. Yeah. Mike, this is your official invitation for next week's episode. Right. There you go. There you go. And I'm going to be listening closely to fact check the hell out of you, buddy. (laughs) Um, So, no, that's cool. So, yeah, um, so we have an interview. Um, I'll, let, I'll let you introduce this one. Yeah, well, I sat down with the Brit Robertson, uh, who I most recognize from a Brad Bird film that super disappointed me called uh, The World of Tomorrow. Or no, sorry, Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland, uh, yep. Yep, uh, and Brad Bird is a guy who did The Iron Giant. He did The Incredibles. Huge fan of him. He even did a, uh, I forget which one it was, his live action, first live action film was uh, a Mission Impossible movie. Which was a pretty good one. Um, so anyways, yeah, I'm talking more about him than her. But anyways, her and I sat down uh, in a small place <laughs> near the sea. And we had a, had a nice conversation. So tell me about your character. I actually love the way Tulsa's written. I think she's really fun. She has a lot of energy, which is which is great to play. Um, and you know, she's tough. And I and I, I, you know, just reading it out loud for the first time, it sounds a lot like how I speak. You know, um, just in terms of energy and and um, messing around with people, sarcastic. And so I just thought she was really well written, and I I I, I love the arc that she has throughout the film. You know, I also like arcs. Especially when they're on a lady. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, so uh, why don't you tell me even more about your character? Tulsa's a tough chick, and when uh, when you first meet her, she has no one. I mean, the only person she really has is is this kid Gardner over, you know, um, like Skype and and instant message, you know. So there's there's really not a, a whole lot of connection that she has in her life um, outside of you know her foster dad who's just a wreck, and she's constantly trying to take care of him, and uh, and so she's a little defensive, she's a little aggressive, and 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 she doesn't trust any. And so, you know, she's her exterior matches the inside a little bit, even though she's more vulnerable than um, you realize. But but she is just a young girl. Ah, yes. Just a young girl. Now I feel creepy about what I said earlier. Uh, Well, what what stood out most in in the script to you? The biggest thing that stood out to me uh, about the script is how how are they ever going to make this movie? I mean, there's so much happening all the time. You have so many different worlds, so many different types of characters, and and somehow they all connect in this um, really beautiful way. They're all displaced in, in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, so I, I just love the emotional impact that it carries, but also the action and fun and mystery. Action-packed, mysterious fun. There's ample opportunity for me to say something creepy here, but uh, not gonna. Nope, not gonna do it. Although I will ask, what was it like to work with director Peter Chelsom? Well, there was a lot that he wants. He, you know, he wanted me to be tough. He wanted me to be able to like beat up a bunch of big dudes. He wanted me to be able to ride the motorbike. He wanted me to be able to um, play the piano, sing, which I don't do at all. Nor I, I've always promised myself that I would never take a role where I had to sing. Uh, unfortunately, I found out that I was going to have to sing after I did. The, I took the the movie. Um, but he wa- he asked a lot of me, which I like. You know, it's it's good to for- force yourself into these uncomfortable situations and learn new skills. Um, so I'm happy to be doing it, but it's it's terrifying. 
sounds really, 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 really scary. Talk a little bit about uh, your character's relationship with Gardner. Well, I think they meet on some sort of chat room situation. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, she I think she really is someone who is searching for connection. And, and, and for her, a safe place is on the computer. I mean, she's not the type of girl who's going to invest emotionally in someone that she meets. She just hasn't gotten to that point in her life where she feels comfortable doing that yet. Um, so Gardner feels really safe to her. And and she can, she can confide in him, and uh, and and that relationship builds and grows, and then he disappears for a few months, and and it 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 again sort of turns her world upside down, and I think it's um, it it she throws up that guard one more time, and so when you when you meet Tulsa meeting Gardner, I think she is uh, pretty hard on him. She's pretty tough, and um, because of his disposition, I, it, it disarms her. Armless. I did not see that coming. Oh, uh, speaking of, here's your opportunity to gush about a co-star. I love Asa. He's so perfect. I can't imagine anyone else in the role because he also balances me in this really beautiful way. Just the his presence and his demeanor and his dis- disposition with how he plays Gardner. It, it's, <laughs> it's so different than my character that we have just a blast playing against each other. Like at Mario Kart or... No, no, you're probably talking about something else. Um, well, what's the best thing about this movie? Well, I think the range, or the point of making a movie like this is so that um, anyone can see it. You know, it has something for everyone. And it's, uh, you know, it, it is a love story, but it's, it's a story about family. And it's a story about people and humans. And it's got, you know, space and action and emotions and happiness. And it's, it's kind of a fun-filled experience. So hopefully people will take their entire family to go see it. Uh, so there it was. There was uh, there was my chat with her. That was a very good chat. Yeah, she seems friendly. She, does she smelled seem nice. She had a, she had a good she had a good aroma. I can I can attest to that. I have actually um, I met her when she was doing press with Scott Eastwood and Nicholas Sparks for uh, the longest ride. They were actually oh. brought them in for a press day here in Atlanta a couple of years ago, and it was actually up at Chastain at the horse park, which is which was fun because it was uh, a movie that was based on rodeos and horses and kind of this little love story that happened around it. So it was a cool kind of venue to, to interview them in, but she is super, super sweet. Yeah, that's how I felt about her also. So you and I have very common stories and that, <laughs> that we both know she smells nice and she's she's a nice lady. She is. She's a very so, nice lady. So good for her. <laughs> good for her. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's actually all we have for this week. We have a couple of teases for next week. Again, um, we had to record this early because I am leaving at the crack of dawn tomorrow for Albuquerque, Texas. Um, for oh wow a, a, Albuquerque yeah. Texas Texas no to- Albuquerque New Mexico the show is called Midnight Texas my bad <laughs> sorry see like I'm already I'm trying to get all my work done today and then like pack and my brain is just fried so yes Albuquerque New Mexico for a show called Midnight Texas I bet you I do that like five more times like between oh, sure. now and when I get there well I'll uh, tell you I'll tell you a quick story about a former colleague of mine it's one of my favorite stories ever but I can't remember remember the name of the town. I, I want to say it was Kirkwood. Short and long of it is this. She got on a flight 
for work, traveled all the way to Kirkwood, let's just say, imaginary town. Um, and she gets there, she gets her bag, whole thing, goes to the taxi and says, I need to be taken to this hotel. And this taxi driver is like, uh, I don't know where that hotel is. What's the address? And she gives him the address. She was in the wrong Kirkwood. There was, <laughs> there was a Kirkwood in another state. I can't remember the name of the town. Um, but it'd be like if you went to Portland, Maine, instead of Portland, Oregon, and then showed up <laughs> to Portland, Maine, like, hey, you better take me to... And at first, I guess he was all frustrated that the guy didn't know where the hotel was. So it was one of my favorite things ever the entire time. Oh, she my gosh. Wrong place. So do That's not amazing. <laughs> accidentally go to Albuquerque, Texas, if there is such a <laughs> place. <is> one. Well, <laughs> luckily for me, NBC has, a ravel, uh, has arranged my travel arrangements, so yes. I will end up wherever they send me. But, um, <laughs> That's good. I did actually watch the pilot um, on Friday night for this, and I don't think I'm allowed to, to really talk about it yet because it wasn't a, uh, a final version of, of what will air. Um, but Charlene Harris, uh, who, of course, is well known for uh, creating the, the book series True Blood, or that True Blood was based off of and, and being involved, of course, in that production as well. Um, she's the one behind this, this series as well. And I haven't read the books with it, or I'm not actually familiar with the, uh, the book series that this one's based on. But I know that she's behind it, and uh, she's a pretty talented lady. And I actually really enjoyed the pilot. So I know they still have a little bit of work to do on it, but I I liked it. It was, it felt like a blend of a lot of genres and a lot of shows that I really like um, between True Blood and Preacher and just the whole kind of supernatural landscape. So I'm really stoked to be visiting the set. Yeah, that's super cool, man. Yeah. That sounds fun. Yeah. Um, and I'm also staying, I actually went to Albuquerque once before for a set visit for a show called Dig, uh, which aired on USA Network, and I'm staying in the same hotel, which is super haunted. So I'll give you guys a, a full kind of rundown on that. I'm actually, when I check in tomorrow, I'm totally going to request the haunted room. So oh, wow. <laughs> if I don't okay. show up on next week's podcast, something went horrifically wrong. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's good to know. It's like, what's that? Uh, uh, 1408, that Stephen King yeah. story, movie, John Cusack, Samuel Jackson. Not a bad one. Well, Anyways, we'll uh, see what happens. Cool. But, yeah, uh, but I, I love that you're going back to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and you're still calling it Albuquerque, Texas. That's I know, fun. right? To be fair, the, the, the confusion <laughs> of the title gets in there. I, yeah, I understand. Exactly. I'm. It's midnight, Texas. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but... Uh, but yeah, so we've got that um, coming up the first part of this week, and then SCAD's ATV Fest is happening at the tail end of this week, and they're bringing in some really awesome people, uh, Christina Ritchie, Jenna Elfman. Um, there's some rumors that John Lithgow might be coming in. That has Ooh. not been confirmed yet, but um, I'm hearing some rumors, so my fingers are crossed that that will be happening. Um, but they're also going to have cast from um, Once Upon a Time, Jennifer Morrison, um, Colin Donahue, and uh, I can't remember if it's... Adam or there, there's some of the creative team that's coming in with uh, Once Upon a Time too, and then um, a bunch of Atlanta filmed people or Atlanta filmed shows have uh, people coming in as well. Twenty Four Legacy and uh, MacGyver and Star, which is going to be premiering soon on Fox. So we'll have some information for that next week and a review of Rings, which of course shot here in Atlanta, which we've talked about um, yeah. previously. And then uh, the Super Bowl is also happening. So we have a lot of things happening between now and the next time we record. So it's going to be a pretty jam-packed uh, episode next week. 
Yeah. So everybody has that to look forward to. Yeah. So that'll be such a happy episode. Unless the Falcons lose the Super Bowl, and then it's going to be just a really, really disheartening. Yeah, it all depends on that next executive order. That that really is will will help, guys. That's true. Yeah, it'll be. (laughs) All right. So, uh, well, uh, have a wonderful trip uh, wherever your destination may be, and uh, we'll. uh, That's that's. uh, There you go. I don't know where (laughs) I'm going. I was almost going to shut down the show. I can't do that. You shut down the show. Well, thank you guys for listening. Again, my name's Emma Loggins, Editor-in-Chief at FanBolt. My name is Kai Mickelson, Designer and Independent Filmmaker. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.